I don't know how many of you have ever been to one of uh, these, uh, the corn maze when they have it in the fall. But I remember as a kid, my, uh, my family would go to Panama City Beach and for vacation because it was one of the closest beaches to us because we lived up in uh, West Tennessee. And so they have in this uh, golf, like miniature golf course there, they have this thing called the Grand Maze. And picture it's like these massive, like those white PVC fences in all of our backyards. It's like massive uh, amounts of that, like eight, nine feet tall. And it's just a maze, like a little, like rats running around in a maze, but this is for human beings, right? And so I remember going in there as a kid and you try to sort of figure your way out and you would often get lost. Like you try to go around the corner and you run into a wall, right? And they had these like, these uh, view, viewing areas that were up on stilts and you were, they were like checkpoints. And as you got through each part of the maze, you got to this checkpoint and you could kind of see uh, more of the maze. And so hopefully you could get there and you could map out where you were going and you could figure things out. But it was complicated and difficult and you got the hot Florida sun beating down on that PVC and it just made it a really excruciatingly hot ordeal and you get lost in there and frustrated. And how many of you know that sometimes life feels that way like that we call it a rat race for a reason right like we're just running through life and it feels like we go around the corner only to hit another wall around the corner only to hit another wall we pray to God for some direction and sometimes we feel like he comes through clearly and other times we feel like there's some ambiguity we, we, we keep moving forward we get to high points in our life and we think we can see the terrain and we start to try and map it out a little bit better only to get back down in the nitty-gritty of it all and figure out hey we run into a wall or get lost again in particular periods of our life can feel this way, right? We call it a quarter-life crisis now, right? We have quarter-life crisis as a mid-life crisis, and we have, uh, maybe if you just retired, you're trying to figure out what to do with your life. Particular seasons of our lives uh, uh, emphasize and make even worse the, the problems that we have. And what is it we do in these moments when we feel like life is a maze? When we feel like we don't know which way to turn? I want us to look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 through 11, and we've been emphasizing prayer, and I want to talk about that tonight. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. Jesus says this, Keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You, you parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask Him? I want to submit that in those moments when we feel like we're not sure what to do, we don't know which way to turn, that we call out to the one who's been through the maze before us, the one who knows the way around, the one who sees every nook and cranny, the one who knows all, that we call out to him, that we ask and we seek and we knock, and we believe that he comes through for us. Let's pray this evening. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your presence that's in this room. God, we don't want to miss what it is that you want to do in our midst tonight, and so God, we slow ourselves down and we set our attention on you. God, there's so many things that could be on our minds tonight. 
God, we've got, maybe we had a, a rough week last week, or we've got a lot ahead of us this coming week, but God, right now we put all of those things aside and we set our attention and our focus on you. God, we do as Paul says, we take captive every thought and we, God, set it and focus it towards you. God, we set our minds on things above and not on things below. Lord, we give you this time and we ask that you would speak to us. God, that you would transform us. God, that we would walk out of here one step closer to Jesus than when we came in, that we would leave here, God, knowing you. God, knowing you and knowing that we've been in your presence. God, we thank you for what you're doing in this place. Jesus, we love you and we worship you and we give you all the honor and all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. This uh, that we read here is the last chapter of the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount, if you're not aware, is uh, probably if, if uh, the Christian faith had a constitution, this would kind of be it. Like this is where Jesus lays out what it means to follow him, what it means to be a part of his kingdom. He's been talking since Matthew chapter 5 about what it means to be part of his kingdom. And he's, Matthew has really set up Jesus as this new uh, and greater Moses. Because as Moses goes up on the mountain and gets the law of the Lord in Exodus, Jesus is going to go up on the mountain and give the people this uh, new way of looking at things. And he's going to talk about his kingdom. Jesus in these passages has reminded us if you remember, he's reminded us some, some things to practice like prayer and giving and fasting. He's reminded us not to worry. He's talked about being aware of our own issues rather than looking down on everyone else. And he's talked about all of these things. And we get here and what he's going to remind us is this, is that life in the middle of all of life's problems, in the middle of all the things we go through, that God is good. And what does he do to point that out? First of all, he says this, that God is a good father who answers when we pray. He says, ask and it will be given to you. You see, this passage, while it's about prayer, it's about much more than prayer. Jesus is saying this, that God's this good father who gives to everyone who asks, so ask away. It is, it is permission to ask. If you've ever needed permission to ask for something from God, this is it. Jesus says, God is a good father, ask. Like, ask for it. Go for it. Ask away. Jesus reminds us that if we, being sinful, give good gifts to our kids, how much more will our Heavenly Father give good things to us? It's a reminder of how good God is. But this poses, I don't know about you, but I get all sorts of questions as I'm reading these, these passages. It poses a deeper question. Why does it sometimes feel like, if God is a good Father who gives to those who ask, why does it sometimes feel like we ask and He doesn't answer? Or we ask and we don't get the way that we thought we should get it. And the, the truth is, there's not an easy answer for this. And I think Jesus put this here this way on purpose because what He's reminding us is, is God's good. Whether you get what you, the answer that you hope for or not, at the end of the day, God is a good Father. I think that what he's doing here is reminding us that when we don't understand everything, we rest in the goodness of God. That we trust the heart of our Father even when we don't fully understand it. That we trust his goodness even when we don't fully get it. You see, we also have to realize that sometimes what we think is the good gift is not really the good gift. Sometimes what we think we want 
we better be grateful we didn't get what we wanted. Amen? Anybody ever been there? You had that moment, you prayed for something, and you were sure, you, this is what you need, this, this is it. And then you look back in hindsight, and you go, man, I'm so glad, God, thank you for not, not doing that for me. Thank you for not listening. Thank you for being a good father. Thank you, thank you for seeing what I couldn't see. See, my, my son it, it had a birthday, his birthday is today, and he turned four years old, right? And uh, he asked for, you know, basketball goal and some of those types of things. It's great. You know, he could have come up and asked me for, you know, let's say a, a brand new Tesla. He wants a Tesla. And I, me being a good father, right? I should just go get him one. Like, no, right? He's not, even if I could afford it, like, he's not, he's not getting one now. He's not getting one ever. Not from me. He's not getting one of those, right? I'm getting one before he gets one, right? And, uh, but, but, right, he, why wouldn't I give him one? If he wants it, he should get it, right? Like, no, because I would be a horrible father if I gave a four-year-old a Tesla. Because he'll, he'll go out and, like, drive it into something and kill himself and someone else. Like, it could be a tragedy. And sometimes it's that way with God. We go, God, I, I really want this. And God goes, like, you're not ready for that. Or God, we go, God, I really want this. And he goes, that, that's just going to hurt you. And see, God, see we're, we're at the maze, and we don't see around the corner. And God sees the whole picture, and he sees everything that's going on, and he understands, I can't give that to you because, man, that would do more harm than good. And so God is this good father, and Jesus says here, reminds us here, that he's a good father who, who wants us to ask, he wants us to dream, he wants us to come before him in prayer and go, God, I'm asking for this. But we, we understanding that our father is good. And that he's going to give us not just what we ask for, but the good thing that we really do need. Maybe even the thing that we don't even understand. Maybe he's giving us the thing that maybe uh, is painful for a moment, but it's going to be for our good in the end. That God is a good God who gives good gifts to his children who ask for it. Secondly, Jesus says this, is, is that, God isn't only a good father who gives to those who ask, but he's a good father who shows us what we did not see before. He says this, ask and you'll receive, seek and you will find. There are three commands here, again, ask, seek, and knock. And what they really are about is this, it's venturing forward into life with God. If we ask, we receive, but seeking leads to finding something. Right? If we're going to seek, he says, you will find. But what exactly is it we're seeking for? And what is it that we're going to find? Is it just anything that we want? No, I think it goes back to Matthew 6. This is also in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says this, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. If we seek God's kingdom, we will find it. If we honestly look for God's kingdom, we will find it. And what does this do? When we find his kingdom, it opens up a way of living we previously did not see before. Like this seeking makes us aware of something that we weren't aware of before. You see, there's a way of living that seems upside down to the world, right? That the world looks at as kind of funny. Uh, we, like the world has gone crazy. I don't know if you've noticed, but they've gone nuts. Like it's, it's crazy. And they look at us like we're the crazy ones. But what, the way that it works is this is like we're, we're not from, we're from a different kingdom. Like our citizenship is not in this world. And we must remember that. And Jesus, as we seek the kingdom, 
we start to see things differently. It's like this, if you've ever been in another, over to another country and you've been there for an extended period of time. I remember uh, going to uh, Spain. Well, we went on Spain in, to Spain for a mission trip. And uh, being over there, we were just over there a week, but everything is smaller over there. Like every, they build everything smaller. Their stores are smaller. They have less stuff in them. The elevator was like, I don't know, about, I mean, about the size of this pulpit, it felt like, like two people get into it and like everything was smaller. And just being over there a week, you became kind of accustomed to that. And when I came here and I went into Walmart and I saw like 150 varieties of cereal on the shelf, it was like overwhelming to me. Because here you'd been in this country where there's like two choices when you go to the store instead of 150. And so what happened is that as, as you're in a place for longer, you start to see things a little different. Like the culture starts to catch on. And you, like missionary kids struggle with this when they come home from furlough, right? They go with their, their parents over as missionaries to, let's say, Africa, and they live there for four years, and then they come home for a year, and their parents raise support. Sometimes the kids, they struggle because it's a cult. Like they've been in, ingrained in African culture, and they come here, and the culture here is completely different. And you see, what we need to do is seek the kingdom of God and let a little bit of that kingdom culture rub off on us. So that when we're out here in the world, things should look a little funny to us. They should, like if it doesn't look a little funny, something's wrong. Like maybe we're spending, maybe we're not really seeking the kingdom if we're out here in the world and everything looks like it's on the up and up. Like, like maybe there is something wrong with this. And, and I, I really think one of the, if you read through the book of Acts, I really think one of the, the things the Holy Spirit does and the baptism of the Spirit does is He gives us a fresh set of eyes to see and a fresh set of ears to hear new things and what God is doing, and we start to see the world differently. And Jesus says here, seek and you will find. If you seek His kingdom, you will find. And what it does is this, is it takes us back to Jesus's, the rest of this sermon. What is Jesus, what is this kingdom about? Well, He's going to give us a new way of seeing the world. He's going to give us a way to love our enemies. He says, hey, you've heard it said that you should love those who love you and you should hate your enemies. But He said, I, I tell you this, don't just love the people that love you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Like, that's, that's upside down. We live in a world that says, if they're out to get you, you better get them first. And Jesus says, no, you love your enemies. See, he talks about humility and mercy and peace and purity. And he, he tells us that we live in this new kingdom where we see things differently. I got to tell you, we have to learn to slow down and see what God is doing and see his work and, and discern what he's doing. I was thinking as we were singing this last uh, song, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. And we're singing about being aware of God's presence. You know, often when we think of chasing something or someone, we think of this idea, like if I want to catch them, I need to speed up, right? If I, like if I'm chasing my son, we're playing around, like if, I, if he's in front of me and I want to catch him, I need to speed up. But with God, I, I think it works backwards. If you want to catch God, you need to slow down, right? Because God is, God is at work, like his kingdom is moving and working in the world, but most of us buy into the world and it, the way it sort of ingrains in us how, how we need to, to be, and we're moving at 90 miles an hour, and it's hard to see what God's doing when you're moving so fast. That's why it's so important, as we've been talking over the last few weeks, to come aside and spend time in prayer, in prayer. And I would encourage you to include in your prayer some quiet moments of silence. Prayer is not a monologue where you just talk to God. Prayer is a dialogue where God wants to talk to you.
And if you will just take some time and just sit in the quiet, I believe God will speak to you. I've been reading some and doing some, some studying over this last semester in school on spiritual disciplines, and one of the things that I was struck by that just fascinated me and just honestly just blew my mind is that uh, one writer said this, if you look at all of the, the great spiritual writers of over throughout the centuries, most of them would agree with this, that one of the most important spiritual disciplines, most of them would say the most important spiritual discipline you have is silence. Why? Because it's in the silence that you hear God speak. Because it's in the silence that, that there's space made for prayer. It's in the silence that God begins to show you this needs to change and that needs to change and this needs to go. And it's only as we start to quiet down and slow down a little bit that we start to discern His kingdom. What is it that He's doing? What, what, what is it that He's doing in the world around you? What is He doing in your neighbor's life? What is, what is He doing in your son or daughter's life? What is, what is it that God wants to do? But it's only as slowing down that we catch Him. We, we don't catch Him by speeding up. We catch Him by slowing down and becoming aware of His presence. You see, if we, seek, if we seek, we will find. We will find the kingdom of God. We will find this better way of living that seems upside down, and we didn't see it before. I remember a few years ago I was on a vacation, and my son was napping, and we went back to the uh, hotel room, and we were, he was napping, and I turned on the television just to kind of kill some time and see what's on, and this movie came on uh, called Tomorrowland. Maybe you've seen it, I don't know, but it's based on Walt Disney's idea that technology is going to make this better world, right? And that, that it's going to make the world this better place. And the main character in the movie, she's taken into Tomorrowland. It's this whole other place, this whole other place where she goes to. And she realizes that there's more to life than what she's been seeing. She starts to realize that there is a better world. I don't want to tell you, like, Disney was wrong, technology is not going to fix the world, but there is a better way, and there is a better world, and it is called the kingdom of God. And it is not fully here yet, but it is here, and it is working, and it is moving, and one day it will be fully realized when Christ returns, but it is here, and it is working, and it is moving, and we've got to open up our eyes and see what God is doing around us. But we've got to ask and receive, and then we've got to seek. We have to look for it. We have to we, we have to slow down to see where, what God is doing. If we seek, we will find this better world, this better kingdom. This is found in Jesus. In seeking Him, we get Him and His kingdom. And so Jesus says this, Ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. And then finally, He says this, that God is a good Father who gives us access to where we've been shut out before. So we ask and we receive. We seek and we find. And then he says this, knock, and the door will be opened. Doors are normally there to keep people on the outside out and people on the inside in. That's the purpose of a door, right? They're also used as a means of entrance. The whole New Testament is clear. You and I were once on the outside. John tells us this, that Jesus is the door. In Ephesians, Paul tells us that we were on the outside, but because of Jesus, we have brought in through the door. We have been brought in, and we are now part of the family of God. You see, Jesus has now given us access through the door to things that we were shut out from before. We have access to salvation. We have access to the power of the Holy Spirit. We have access to His help and provision. We have access to the community of believers. We have access to the kingdom of God and everything that comes with it.
Man, that, that should do something for us. We should be reminded that because of Jesus, that He is the door, now we have access. We, where we once were shut out, we now are able to walk in. Hebrews tells us this, that we can now boldly enter into the throne of grace. A couple of years ago, actually, about three or four years ago now, I remember going to a high school graduation. And it happened to be for uh, Isaiah Stewart. And if you've ever been to a high school graduation at the RP Funding Center, it is like a madhouse, right? Like it's crazy, parking and everything. But Isaiah's dad at the time worked pretty high up in the sheriff's department. As a matter of fact, he was over like all the, say, all the schools, like that was his job. And so he told me, you park in this place and you find me and we'll walk in. And he told me the time to be there. So we parked and we walk, we go with him. And this is like 20 or 30 minutes before everybody else is supposed to arrive. We walked in like this back secret door. There was like armed, like uniformed men standing there like saluting and do you need a water? They escorted us to our seats in an empty, completely empty auditorium. They set us anywhere we wanted to sit. They got us whatever we wanted to get. You know why? Because he had access, right? He, he had some access. And, and because he was in charge of everything that was going on in that place that night, he had some access. And I want to tell you that God, through Christ, has given us access. That there are places that God can, that we can now go that we could not go before. There are things God wants to do in you that we, He could not do before. But because of the blood of Jesus, we have access. He gives us access to places we were previously shut out from. He's summoning us and saying, knock. Man, he, it's there, just knock. The problem is some of us aren't knocking. We, we're we stand on the outside wondering what God is doing, and He's asking you to just knock. Knock, and the door will be opened. Knock, and the door will be opened. Some of us quit because we came up on what we thought was a wall. But maybe it's a door, and doors are meant to be knocked upon and opened. Right? Doors are not there just to keep you out. Doors are there to let you in. I read a, a story some time ago about, from an author named Bob Goff, and he's one of my, my favorite writers, and he tells this story that of when he was younger, that he graduated from high school and he's trying to figure out what he wants to do with his life. And so he decides through, decides what he'll do is he'll be a lawyer. That's what he decided to do. He just sort of decided he would do that one day. He wasn't a good student in school. He didn't make the best grades. He wasn't particularly, uh, you know, good at taking tests or bright, as we would say. So he decides he's going to, you know, go through college and then he's going to go take the LSAT. So he goes and takes the LSAT and he, it's the, the test you have to take to get into law school and he like bombs it because he doesn't know how it works. He's not sure, like he doesn't, he just goes and takes it because he wants to be a lawyer and that's what you're supposed to do. So his scores are horrible. And so he starts applying to all of these schools and of course some of them write him you know, dear Bob, it's so great that you sent your application in. We're sorry to inform you like you didn't get into the school. So he's wondering what to do because he keeps getting rejection letters. And then some of them aren't even bothering. Like they just see his scores and he's imagining they're just laughing. And he just, they're not even sending him anything. So he decides through some overtime, through some prayer and some thought that he wants to go to this particular law school. Well, they haven't, they haven't corresponded with him or anything, but he decides that's where I'm going to go. So he's okay. So he goes in and he meets the dean of students and he shakes his hand and says, hey, um, you know, my name's Bob. I don't know if, if somewhere along the line, like my application got lost in the mail 
or you know, your letter to me, even your rejection letter. I don't know what happened. I just, but I want to go to school. And the, the dean kind of like laughed and, you know, hey, we're full and have a great day. And he, he you know, awkward conversation. He pats him on the shoulder and starts kind of moving him towards the door of his office. And, and Bob looked at him and said, hey, listen, you know, I know I didn't score that great or and all this stuff, but he said, uh, you've got all the power. All you have to do is tell me to go get my books. The dean's like, yeah, okay, man, have a great day. So Bob, most of us would have gone home, but not, not Bob. Bob decides for weeks that he's going to sit outside this guy's office door on the bench, and every time this dean passes, he just looks at him and says, all you have to do is tell me to go get my books. And he sat there for weeks. Two weeks, two or three weeks into the school year, after it's already kind of started, he's still sitting there. All you have to do is tell me to go get my books every time this guy comes past. And eventually, the dean just looks at him and just shakes his head and goes, son, go, go get your books. He, he goes through law school, passes, now he's a lawyer. He goes around the world doing, uh, working with people who can't afford lawyers in Africa and India and all of these places, working with people who have been abused and uh, trafficked and all of this stuff. And he's, he's a lawyer for these people. He's built homes for orphans all over the world. But man, his persistence in just sitting there saying, all you got to do is tell me to go get my books. And man, I wonder sometimes we come up on doors and we knock once and we think, oh, must not be home, that must not be for me, and we sort of shy away. But listen, if, if Scripture says it's yours, keep knocking. If, if, the word of, if it's a promise that God has given you, keep knocking. Like, like, knock away, ask away, seek away, keep going. I think far too often we give up way too easily, right? We're, we're like, when I, was, when I first started here at the church, pastor would send me out on visits, and I got to tell you, I, sometimes I can still be this way, but I'm much better. You go and you knock on the door, kind of like hoping nobody's home. Because you, cause I, was, I was nervous, I didn't want to talk, you know, and I'm kind of like, Okay, they didn't hear me. I'll go back to the car, right? And that's the way we are with the promises of God sometimes. Uh, I, guess, I guess it's not for me. Okay, and we, and we retreat, but God says, no, you've got a good father. You, you've got a good father. Ask away. You've got a good father who wants to, wants to give you new perspective on the world. Seek his kingdom. You've got a good father who's given you access to all of these promises. Knock Pound the door down. It is yours through Christ. And so tonight, as we, we close, here's the bottom line. We've got a good God who answers us when we pray. Who's, who, when we seek Him, we find Him. Who, when we knock, He opens the door. So we keep on asking. We keep on seeking. We keep on knocking. And when we don't know what's going on, when we can't understand what it is that God is doing, when life feels like a maze, we continue to ask, to seek, and to knock. Martin Luther said this, and I want to close with this quote, The world is insane. It tries to get rid of its insanity by use of wisdom and reason, and it looks for many ways and means for all sorts of help and advice on how to escape the distress. But the shortest and surest way is to go into a little room or a corner and there to open your heart and pour it out before God, filled with complaints and sighs, but also with confidence and trust that as your faithful Heavenly Father, He wants to give you His help and advice in this distress.